we give all our guys two hours a week to play. It's two hours a week that you get to cook something that you really want to. So you order in your ingredients, order any plates you want, anything you want to do, you do it. And they work on these dishes and they plate it and plate it and plate it. And the results have been fantastic. It's almost like beautiful art sometimes. These guys have come out with some amazing things. Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind that both employees and customers love and support. In this episode, I talk with Namies from Manjus in Brighton. In my view, the best Indian restaurant in the world. They are known for being a restaurant that not only redefines your understanding of Indian food, but also gives you the ultimate hospitality experience. We talk about their approach to food from where everything is cooked from scratch and the menu is constantly changing, to purpose of the restaurant and why they went into the restaurant industry four years ago to make sure that their 80-year-old mom could achieve her biggest dream, having her own restaurant. We discuss the journey they've been on to build a business that's just not another brand or Indian restaurant and how they made culture as key in building their brand story. Namis also share what he believes is the future for especially independent restaurant. He says hope and faith that we soon will be on the other side. Some great learnings around how to build culture and brand. You don't want to miss this one. We all need to go through this together, so happy to talk with you about your challenges, so please book a chat with me on hospitalitymavericks.com, grab your drink and notebook, and enjoy. Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast, and uh, we are storming into 2021, and this is our first recording since we, uh, we left 2020 behind us, and we're in the UK right now. In Brighton, both of us, actually, my guest, actually would have preferred, and that's why we pushed it ahead that we met up face to face with the with the whole team. But yeah, the the world has put us in a situation where we are locked down, so that's not going to happen. But I'm really excited to share today's conversation with you because uh, I have uh, Namis, a representative of uh, the Manjuice team and restaurant in Brighton, on the the podcast. So welcome to the podcast, Namish. Hi, Michael. Thank you for having me. As I said before, right, we've been trying to put this in place for a while. So there's probably a couple of people out there. I mentioned you guys on the podcast a couple of times. And I was thinking, oh, those are the guys he's been talking about, the Manduce and the, what the incredible things they're doing. But for people that doesn't know who Manduce is and what you're all about, and uh, can you just give them like the quick overview of Manduce, the elevator pitch, as I normally call it? Of course I can. So... I'm Namish, and my family own Manju's, which is a really small independent restaurant in Brighton. We serve real Indian Gujarati food. Now, Gujarati is a vegetarian state in northwest India, which is where my family originated from. Then, you know, we were actually East African Asians. So from my great-great-granddad, whoever went from India to Uganda, and that's where the family were based. Manju actually is my mother. She's 84 now good old mum and she cooks in the kitchen alongside with her two daughter-in-laws and a super talented team so quick gist is mum lost the father at the age of 12 and was taught to cook by her mother so my grandmother who was the most awesome cook ever and it's real Indian food so age of 14 just to bring money into the family my mother was doing 35 tiffins a day tiffins are the the stackable lunch boxes that made from steel. So she would do that just to bring money in because money was really, really tight. In 1972, mum was kicked out of Uganda. So she left with two small boys, me being just six months old, arrived in the UK and went to work in a factory, which is where she stayed until she retired. It was always mum's dream to have a place where she could cook from, you know, own restaurant, do real, proper, home-cooked Indian food. Unfortunately, mum just could never do it because, you know, she had two boys to, you know, support and rent to pay. And she's quite house, She's quite proud as well. She would never, ever ask for help. In the meantime, my brother and I grew up, went into business, did lots of great things and lots of really, really stupid things. 
and eventually when mum was 80 we we bought her a place so we're based at the bottom of Trafalgar Street and that's where she cooks from so that's us the most interesting thing you said of people doing it is he still works in the business and see she works incredible hours when you're open i know the pandemic has uh, thrown a spanner in the wheel but it's like i i've been impressed you know and i don't know for for the people out there she works a full-time job and plus <laughs> she i mean so you know you know the restaurant trade it's not a nine to five game whatsoever it consumes your life and the restaurant is alive. I mean, she's now 84. She started when she was 80, as I said. She's there every day in the morning, prepping, do lunch, prep, do dinner, comes home, you know. She, we do this Tuesday to Saturday. So we have Sunday, Monday off where she can put her feet up, but she's still cooking in the kitchen when she's at home, you know. This is her life. And she's so passionate about what she does that, at the moment, so we've stopped. We shut the shop in March when the first lockdown was, you know, was announced. And we haven't gone back because we just need to look after her. She's, you know, she's in her 80s. This blasted virus would, would not be good if she got it. It could be, you know, quite fatal, really. So just to protect her, protect the team, we packed up in March, haven't gone back. We will do. We're not going anywhere. We're just sitting here, biding our time, seeing when the light at the end of the tunnel appears. But she's itching, itching to go back. I mean, we, you know, we will have to be sensible about it as well now. You know, she's 84. She's four, old, four years older than when we first started. And she's obviously going to be a little bit slower. You know, we'll just have to make sure the support's in place. And even if she comes in and just has an overview of things, there's no way we're going to be able to keep her out. Even if we turn around and said, you know, it was funny, actually, a year ago, a year, maybe two years ago, we had a... It was around this sort of time and we had an actual, not an argument, but words. And we were like, mum, you need to slow down. And she was like, kind of, you know, mum has this great ability of not listening when she doesn't want to. And it's like, mum, you need to slow down. You know, we, we, we are actually quite worried. You know, you, you're getting on. We did it because, you know, you wanted to. The idea was you can come as and when you want to, but she's here all the time. It's funny. We, we had this conversation I think it was a Sunday, Tuesday when we opened, knock, knock, knock on the door. She's there with her umbrella, ready to cook. This was at 10 o'clock in the morning. Next day, knock, 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 10 o'clock in the morning. She's back again. So there's absolutely no way you can keep her away. So we just shrugged our shoulders and go, okay, fine. You know what? It's probably a stupid idea trying to keep her away anyway, because she's just going to come no matter what. So let's embrace it. So let's build a better team around her to give her more support. And that's kind of what we did, really. But she's always worked, you know, never, ever stops, has a huge amount of energy. And there's just no way is she going to stop, really. You just can't keep her away. That's a life force as well. I can see that with my parents. My dad still works. He's not as old as uh, your mom yet, but he's in his end 70s. But he's still out there every day and he's like been really frustrated around the pandemic because it's like uh, it keeps you at home so now he's uh, doing gardens for people for free just to do something this is it you know it, it's it's having this get up and go you know i honestly think mum would have been one of the best businessmen or business women around if she had the opportunity she unfortunately she just didn't have the opportunity you know she was she's life really kicked her in the teeth from a young age and but she has the drive, she has the passion, she has the energy, and she just doesn't stop. I mean, even when we were little, she just never, she used to work incredible hours, you know, like literally early in the morning, up, ready, six o'clock, out the door, work, comes home, cooks, cleans, shower, you know, that everything just never stops. And I don't think they make them like that anymore, really. I mean, they must do, but not, you know, it's that kind of generation thing. Your dad being, you know, it's quite similar to, in age to my mom and he's been in restaurants all his life hasn't he it's a force of good though i'm sure if mom stopped and sat down she would deteriorate really really quickly you know it keeps her brain cells ticking it keeps her fit and active gives it's, a purpose it gives a purpose that's it you know and i think we all need a purpose in life really yeah um it is interesting i think um my wife said to me you are not like in in this 
crazy times. You just get up every day and you do your his usual things and you just get on with it. And I said, I think it's because I've seen what my parents did. Um, and they haven't gone through a pandemic, but they got through some other challenges where you thought they just, there's nothing to do. We have to get up and eat that frock. There's nothing to do about it. We just have to deal with it. It's funny though. You, it's It's about getting up in the morning and doing something you love. I mean, it's, my brother and I had a business in London. It was the very first business we had and we sold it because we were working 364 days a year. The only day was Christmas Day. It was the day we didn't work. And it was a delivery business. So we, we used to get up at four and used to start work at five. Luckily, it was only 10 minutes around the corner for us. And we had these vans and we grew and grew and grew it and whatever. And it, it, was, it was great. But we were tired and we had this this business for I think it's about 18 years it takes a toll on you no matter how energetic you are if you're working 364 days a year and you're getting up at four o'clock in the morning and you're out in the wet and the wind and ice it takes its toll so we we sold and it was bliss you know the first week we didn't get up till nine ten o'clock it was you know it was like having complete luxury it was brilliant the second week I was bored so I used to go out for a jog. So we were in Crouch End at the time in London. So I jog around Crouch End at five o'clock in the morning, get the paper, have a cup of tea, and then I'm ready. And I've, man, I've got nothing to do. What's, what's going on? So we went traveling because it gives you something to do. And my mom's very, very similar in that. You know, if she's got nothing to do, she will find things to do. At the moment, you know, so she's at home. We haven't read, you know, we haven't opened since March. She makes a dish every day. That's the thing. So every day she will go into the kitchen and she will make recipes that she hasn't touched for years. I mean, like yesterday she made biscuits. This It's called nankate. It's like a Indian shortbread biscuit. So, I mean, she used to make them all the time when we were kids. I, I don't think she's made them in like four years. So she's made that. She made halwa, which is like this golden halwa, which is like a really thin saffron halwa topped with nuts. I think it's five years she, she, she last made it. So she's going through all these recipes and she's having a brilliant time because she's now got time to do this sort of stuff. You know, when she's working at a restaurant, ideally she should have been doing it, but she's so busy. You know, we're, we're busy, we're small, you know, it's lunches are busy, dinners are packed. It's, it's, she just doesn't get time to do this sort of, sort of dishes. So now she's kind of rolling it all out and she's having a brilliant time, you know. But the thing is, she could sit down and watch TV. But she doesn't. She still gets up and goes into the kitchen. She still cooks. And that's incredible. Yeah, and there's a lot to learn from that kind of mentality or behavior, I would even say. Like, it's almost ingrained in her. She needs to do something. It's my thing. I do every day. But just coming back to Manjus and, you know, you, you talk very passionate about the food. And I want to start there because I can still remember my first meal there. And I, I've been lucky enough to have a number of meals and and be working with you guys, but you have a very specific approach to. Let's start with the food, and then we can add the business. On there. But there, there, there's there's really a deep purpose around the food and how you do it. So the whole point of Mandra is obviously is for my mum to cook. But the real thing is, was we want to really, really show how good Indian food can be. You know, that's the whole purpose. I mean, like Google has, you know, they, they want to organize the world's data and, you know, make it accessible. Ours is, we want to sh- change people's perception of what real Indian food is. You know, we want to redefine Indian food. That's kind of the whole purpose of the restaurant. And to do that, you know, you have to work in a certain way. We go back to basics. Everything's made on site. Everybody's made fresh. You come in, you're going to have to wait. It's not McDonald's. You know, if you can't wait, we're the wrong restaurant. But we will make it for you and send it out as soon as it's ready. And, you know, Indian food has really, in some people's eyes, really poor perception. You know, they think it's cheap and it's not. The amount of ingredients that goes into it. They think it's easy. Well, actually, I don't think. But it's actually quite a technical dish to cook. You know, all Indian food is, you know, there's quite a bit of technique that goes into it. And people love Indian food. I think it's the number one, number two cuisine in, in, in the UK. But it still has this kind of tainted image. And it shouldn't. And that's kind of what Manjus is all about. We need to change people's perceptions of this. You know, it's, 
it's high quality, it's technical, it's layers and layers of flavor. And I don't think people realize, because we've had this, you know, not knocking the curry houses, but in the sort of 70s and 80s, it was kind of the place you go to after having 10, 10 pints with your mates. Go to, you know, after the pub, you go for a curry, you know, kind of behave really badly. And that's what its perception was. Luckily, I think people are a lot more food aware. People are lots more interested in food. You know, the best thing has is cheap travel. Cheap travel is broadens people's horizons. You can now go to India for 500 quid. I mean, not now, obviously, but, you know, generally you could. And India's a fascinating place. So lots of people have gone. And we're lucky in Brighton. You know, lots of our guests have actually been to India. So they know what real Indian food is, not the anglicized versions we get served here. And there's a new wave of restaurants that are doing this sort of stuff. So we're one. You know, there's quite a few in London who are doing this. But the vast majority of restaurants is still the curry house. You know, everything's orange. You know, it's one base sauce that they use to make several dishes. We don't have a base sauce. Nothing. There's no base sauce. Every dish has its unique flavor profile and its unique technique of cooking. And our our menu is it's just 12 dishes. That's all it is. Not a big menu, but it's 12 very, very different dishes and the sharing place so that you pick five or six. They come out as and when they're ready. Each one's very different to the next. So you get to try lots of different flavors, textures. It's very, very sort of different. So it's, it's some are hot, some are sweet, some are, you know, spicy, some are less. So, so the flavor profiles of each dish is very, very different. And the thing is, our menu changes all the time. So mum and the team cook what they want to. And we're not hung up about the money side. So no matter how popular the dish is, if they don't want to cook it, it's off the menu the next day basically. So it's, it's crazy. So we've done four different menus in five days or we've done the same menu. I think the maximum we've gone is about eight weeks when nothing's really changed. A little tweak here and there, but generally things are changing all the time. Yeah, and I guess that's also, you know, when, when you come back up, that's like where something people are hungering from. There has been this, you know, cookie cutter approach to to restaurant and menu structures and no authority to the kitchen this is the menu we designed this is what people want the same thing and again and again and actually people doesn't even ask about that when they come to you because they know whatever is that menu that's my perception it's going to be great and i don't have to worry about it it's it's funny because at the beginning it was it was really strange for people you know we were new Bear in mind, none of us have worked in a restaurant, pub, or bar ever. You know, my wife's been a chef, but you know, we take her out. So the rest of the team hadn't, and our food's not been seen before, really. So people come in, sit down, open the menu, and there was like complete shock. And there's two questions they always kind of ask. The first one was like, "Where's the menu?" And we're like, "Well, that is the menu." They're like, what do you mean that's the menu? It's like one page of A4 with a few dishes on. Go, well, that's the menu. And the second one was like, where's the chicken, bruv? That's, you know, and we're like, sorry, vegetarian. They go, what do you mean you're vegetarian? You're a chick- you know, you're an Indian restaurant. Where's the chicken? Where's, you know, where's the meats? And we're like, no, we're a vegetarian Indian restaurant. And they're like, no, 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 no. You know, you can't, you can't be an Indian restaurant if you're vegetarian. We're like, actually, the vast majority of India is actually vegetarian, you know, if that's what it is. So, and it took a long time. And with the amount of people that would actually sit down, look at the menu, get up and walk out, it was incredible. And it still happens, but not so much. And I mean, the restaurant's you know, really well known now. So I think people kind of understand what they're going to, you know, it's, it's going to be very different. But before lockdown, we were actually, you know, so we do these one-off nights, you know, so we do like a street food night or a Italian, you know, we do all sorts. So one of the things was, one of our guests actually came up to us and he goes, you know what, I have absolutely no idea any of these dishes in the menu. I go, well, all right, fine. Do you want me to pick for you? He goes, yeah, fine, brilliant. At the end of the meal, he's like, you know, we, we was touch base with him and he was like, man, that was incredible. We're like, thank you. He goes, no, 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 that was incredible. We're like, really, really, thank you. You know, we're humbled. He goes, have you actually thought of doing a no menu night? God, that's brilliant. He goes, what would, you just like, literally, people come in, sit down, and you feed them. I go, 
that's fantastic. That's such a good idea. So at the end of the evening, you know, after guests have gone, we, you know, we got everybody together. I go, right, look, listen, this is a recommendation somebody's made. And I think it's great. It's a brilliant idea. They're like, that would be brilliant. So the idea is, you, you know, when you book, you would tell us any allergens, you know, so, you know, I can't eat this, this, that. And you would tell us whether you're vegan or gluten-free. And we would literally say, right, you come in, sit down, you'll have, you know, six dishes, it's 20 quid a head or whatever it is, plus drink, we will pick your dishes for you. You have no say. And we kind of mentioned it to a few people and they were like, that would be so good. You know, and it was something we were piecing together. And unfortunately, you know, the lockdown happened in March and then, you know, it's something we will do when we go back. But having a really small thought out menu, which is very different and your guests really don't have an idea, it sometimes works because they just go, you know what, I don't care. It'll be great, you know. I know your mama's in downstairs with the team. It will be fantastic. Just bring it to me. I'm not bothered, you know. And that happens more and more now. You know, initially at the beginning, it was really tough. You know, people were like, it was almost like you was kind of had to justify not having meat on the menu and having a small menu. Now, it's, you know, it's kind of seen as a thing to do. I mean, 12 dishes max because we cook it for you. We, you know, we can't do big menus. Big menus just wouldn't work in our restaurant. Having too much, it was funny because we started with a quite bigger menu and it was, the kitchen was, it was okay, but we weren't as busy. But the busier we went, the smaller the menu had to become. Otherwise, you know, we just would never get the food out really. So it's worked really, really well for us. And having dishes that's the real thing and people appreciate is hugely gratifying. I would say, you know, when people get up and they say, you know what, that was special. That's why you do it. You don't do it for the money. That's why you do it. Yeah, because it's interesting when you, you think about it as a business as well. And you, you said a couple of times, it's not, it's not about the money. But what, what, what is the ambition for, uh, for Mandu's? Because I, I guess the pandemic, like anyone else, you also been thought about. What, 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 is my, what is the family's ambition now? with Mandu's uh, and uh, what, what is, should it become or not become for that sake? Yeah, so it's funny because our previous businesses was always about growing it, you know, growing as far as you, as big as you can, you know. With the restaurant, we've always taken a very different approach. You know, we want to, kept it small on purpose. It's kind of almost like a boutique atmosphere when it comes in. You know, it's it's small, it's intimate. We have very, very small group sizes, maximum four. You know, we don't let five come and we don't take bookings for five and above. And it's about trying to keep that whole experience that's genuine from the moment people book to the moment they leave. And I mean, for us, I mean, the biggest thing is we need to go back. We need to go back, build up some momentum, come back with some focus, you know, and we'll be stronger than ever. I'm pretty sure of that. But it's just about going back. You know, everything else, I think the way hospitality is at the moment, you know, you 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 really can't think any further than sort of six months down the line. And I think the next six months are going to be very critical. But, you know, when it's safe, because, you know, we, we want to make sure the whole whole environment safe for for our guests and ourselves to work in and make sure mum's looked after as well because at her age you know this is this could be deadly and come back more focused and go from strength to strength but initially it's just you know let's do one day at a time get back and build some momentum because we've lost that we will have lost that momentum because we've been effectively closed 10 11 months now and i think it'll come back i still get lots and lots of emails at the moment, it's like, guys, you know, especially when I post a dish on you know, Instagram or something, I get emails come through, guys, you know, when are you open again? We're like, oh, I really, really can't answer that question at the moment. And to be honest, I don't think anybody can answer that question at the moment, really. Especially here in the UK, there's a bit of a, 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 an unknown finish line to the situation. And I think if you play that game, then you know you will get out at some point and it will be okay on the other side then you will get there and i think it's really foggy at the moment you know it's it's this 
I think even the powers above are probably taking a day at a time. And who would want to be an MP at this time? I wouldn't want to be. I mean, I wouldn't want to be anyway. But, you know, <laughs> this, this is changing on a daily basis. I'm, and my fear is that this time round, it's going to be a long one. You know, I think, we, you know, it's coming. And it's next six months. I think April, certainly nothing's going to happen. I, you know, that's my personal feeling. I mean, I, what do I know? But after April, they will probably try getting things moving again. But I think this, this, this lockdown, if, they, if one does come, will be a real harsh one. And it's going to be severely brutal for everybody. I mean, hospitality is on its knees. We're all on our knees, you know. It's, it's a tough gig at the moment. But it's a matter of, like, try seeing it through, especially the next six months. Hopefully, it'll change. I mean, I'm hugely optimistic on restaurants. You know, long term, I think they'll be the most fantastic place to be. Chain restaurants, not so much, I don't think. I think the shift was changing before COVID. And I think COVID will speed it along. I think, you know, your people want more of a genuine experience. And the way things are happening, well, structurally, it's going to change. People are going to work from home a lot more. You know, I think it'll be a three-two split. So three days a week in the office, two days at home. And employers will be quite happy to do that because they've seen it works. You know, I mean, I, all my friends and family who are working from home, none of them want to go back to the office five days a week. None of them. They all quite like it at home sort of thing. I mean, if you think about it, if you're an employer, you know, if your guys can do the work from home, if you can pay for the computer and the internet connection, in return, you don't need such a big office. So if you're prime West End or, you know, Canary Wharf or whatever, you can scale it right down. You know, so if you, I don't know, if you've got an office that caters for, I don't know, 300 people, you need an office that caters for 100 people because you don't need so many people in. So your rents and all the cost savings you have is huge. If you're an employee and your employer gives you your internet connection and your computer, can you imagine the amount of time and money you save going to your office and coming home? You know, if that saves you two days a week and you could get the work done, why wouldn't you want to work from home? So I think there's, you know, there's going to be a structural change. You know, people will work from home more, but we're humans and humans want to connect. You know, you want to see your friends, you want to see your family, you want to see your colleagues. So what are you going to do? You will go out to restaurants, bars and pubs. So once things settle down, you, you know, things will settle down, you know, it, it, it will get better. Restaurants will be a fantastic place to be, especially if you can offer an experience. You know, so small independent restaurants that offer a genuine experience will be the place to be, I think. And I think also people are a bit bored of the chains. You know, I'm not knocking the chains really, to be honest, but, you know, they, you know where you are with them. But people are moving away and they want something different. And I think if you can offer that, you know, when things change and things settle down, it will be a fantastic place to be. But, but... You know, we've got to get there first. It's it's this this is not going to happen overnight. You're going to have to see out the next six months at least, I think, and then we'll see. But who knows? I mean, this could take longer. You know, it's certainly not going to be shorter than six months. I don't think. No, I think you're you're spot on. And uh, the one of the things uh, we we talked over the pandemic a couple of times is also if you ex- radical accept that situation and look for you know, how you can prepare yourself. Because I know you, you went on a journey of, you wanted to, as you said, you wanted to do it a bit different. You didn't build the restaurant just for the sake of growth. You built it to to make an impact, to educate people about Indian food, as you said, redefining Indian food. Can, can you tell a bit about what is your approach to business? And how do you make sure that you're all aligned around the way? What is your ingredients to, to work like that and, and make a business in the end? So, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, for us, it's about people and passion, purpose, and before profits. So money is just basically like the lubricant in an engine. It just gets you there. It's not what you do. It's not what you go for. If you have this vision, or, you know, ours is we want to change people's perception in your food, you need a team that's aligned. Your, you and your team need to totally believe in what you're doing, why they're there, why they're with you, why they 
put up with some of the grief that you can get. You know, hospitality is tough. And if you want an easy ride, don't go into it. You know, there's <laughs> there's a million other industries you can yeah. you can do financially better and have a easier easier life, but you don't get that buzz. I mean, you know, the hospitality bug. You know, you talk about the bug that people get. I mean, I totally got it. You know, I'll be totally full disclosure. I didn't want to do the restaurant at the beginning. You know, my kids were young. You know, I was relatively, you know, everything was relatively okay. We had sold off the business. You know, we could have sat on our asses for another couple of months and not really gone into it. But we did it because we thought, you know what, hang on, mum's 80. If we don't do it now, it's not going to happen. And she's done everything you can for us. I mean, we are here because of her, you know. So, we, like, the opportunity came, so we did it. Now, I don't think there's anybody more passionate than the restaurant than I am. You know, I totally love it. But you that passion needs to come across to your team and your team needs to follow suit. And if you got your people on board, you've got the passion, you've got the vision for us, changing people's perception of Indian food is our North star. That's where we kind of point towards and everything we do is heading, you know, it's trying to keep on course all the time, but you need your team behind you. And without them, you're nothing. You know? And you need to empower your team really, to be honest. So we spend a lot of time, with our team, you know, they have a huge say, you know, it, it's, they are more inspirational than we are sometimes. They come up with ideas, which we're like, that's brilliant. Everybody has a say in our, in our organization. And it's not like, you know, where the boss is, they tell us off, you know, if we, if they think we're out of line, it's totally open, you know, it's, it's an honest place to work. In return, they're empowered as well. So we have, I'm not allowed to, we have a no dickhead rule. So one of our rules is no dickheads, you know. So if a member of staff behaves like a dickhead, they're not on the team, you know. In return, if we behave like a dickhead, they have every right to tell us that we're being like a dickhead. If a, if a guest comes in and abuses our approach, our staff or our food, our staff, no matter who it is, have full authority to ask them to leave. They don't need to come and see us. You know, we trust them because they've been with us and, you know, we've trained them to, they know what's acceptable and what's not. If a guest is behaving like a dickhead, you know, it doesn't matter how much food or drink they've eaten or, you know, they have to go. You know, our staff have full right to actually ask people to leave. And for them, they appreciate the freedom they have, our staff have. In return, they are marching behind us or along with us. They are kind of holding the banner above their heads. They are they are totally passionate about the business as we are. And it's funny because even when, you know, you lose stuff. So, you know, hospitality. I mean, I think we lose less staff than most. You know, our guys stick with us. But even when guys want to, so, you know, they're young, they want to go and travel. We're like, yeah, fine, go off. So, we, for example, we had one who, one late, one girl who's young was with us for quite some time, had the opportunity to go and work in a vegan cafe in Australia. We were like, it's brilliant. What a great opportunity to go. And then, you know, she she still gets in touch with us every so often. You know, I probably speak to her. We'll probably message each other probably once a week. You know, she's at university and we said to her, when you're finished, when you want the job, come back. It's open for you. We'll find you a job because she's that good. You know, it's about caring, your, caring after your guys and they will care after your guests you know it's actually almost quite sort of almost you put your people first before guests and they will look after your guests yeah we talked about it you mentioned you know because i wanted to talk about the no dickhead rule but you already mentioned that we talked about another belief you have about creating experiences so we talked about that and then uh, we put meaning and purpose before profit you already talked about that that's another belief you have and uh, we seek and speak the truth. You just mentioned that as well as part of one of the things you do. Uh, and then we say we create a, a learning environment. You said you were very focused on training the staff and being part of the... So, yeah, I just want to pick up on that, that sort of learning, learning environment. So one of the things we, we, we do is we give all our guys two hours a week to play. It, it's, just, it's just to play. So if they're... Up front, front of house, if there's a drink they want to make, we don't stock it. They just order it, get the glasses in, whatever in, 
you make the drink. If they're in the kitchen and there's a dish they want to make, so the rule is simple. So the rule is we have a no mobile phone policy anyway. So when you have your two-hour playtime, we call it, if I find you on your phone, we're going to have a words. So no phones, nothing. You can't sit around chatting with everybody else, drinking tea and biscuits. That's not what it's all about. What is it? It's two hours a week that you get to cook something that you really want to. So you order in your ingredients, order any plates you want, anything you want to do, you do it. You know, we don't question. If it's a bit of kit that's really expensive, then we'll look to hire it in, you know, for, for a week or whatever. But if it's relatively inexpensive, just buy it. We'll order it. Get in. It's fine. And they work on these dishes and they plate it and plate it and plate it. And the results have been fantastic. Like literally, you know, we've always focused on our plating and it's, you know, it's all kind of pieced together. It's almost like beautiful art sometimes. But these guys have come up with some amazing things. And the amount of energy and ideas that come from just these two hours a week is incredible. It's led to a couple of dishes being on the menu that we wouldn't have done. And it's come from them which is brilliant. You know, it's these guys have joined us with no experience and all of a sudden they're creating these dishes that are good enough to go on the menu and people are loving. You know, and when you tell them, okay, fine, it's on the menu, you see the smile on their face and it gives them purpose again. So they're more energetic to do it again. And it's almost like, it's not a competition, but they're almost like challenging each other to do who can do better. It's, a, it's fantastic. I think everybody should do it. You know, no matter what business you're in, not just hospitality, allocate two hours a week to your guys and let them just go and have fun and see what happens. Set the rules though, you know, so, you know, they're not wasting the two hours because, you know, because that doesn't, def you know, that defeats the purpose. But just let them have two hours of fun and see where it leads to. And it's, and, you know, you will have amazing results. It's quite funny. I saw, I saw a documentary the other day and it's Peter Jones, you know, the Dragon's Den guy? Visits two very, very different businesses. So he visits this, you know, the ultimate, the broad people in Scotland. And he visited, he visited Innocent, you know, the smoothie guys. And they have two very different ways of working. So the bras lady, Michelle Malone, everything's organized. Even her sticky notes are precise. All the drawers are precise. You know, everything's tidy. You know, they work to a schedule. And Innocent, who are the complete opposite end of the scale you know they've got like gr fake grass ping pong tables you know they're all standing around in this coffee shop with their laptops having a chat whatever and it's funny the results are still the same they're both hugely successful businesses they're just doing different ways and i think we're kind of sort of in the middle of it all really sometimes we're probably leaning more towards the innocent smoothie way in the way we do things because it's about having fun as well you know we're not so regimented that everything's precise but it doesn't mean that you're not you're unprofessional you're just having the right people in place giving them t the tools to grow look after your guests and look after themselves and seeing the results and the results are brilliant i have to say you know this two hour this two hour thing the results i mean we were shocked you know when we sat down because my brother and i talk you know we're the two owners and we talk sometimes talk without the team you know just to catch up on everything and we were both shocked how good that worked out as and the kids. And they love it. They absolutely are so like, well, yeah, I'm going to make this dish. I'm going, look, I don't care. Do whatever you want to. As long as you're not wasting the two hours and you're using the two hours to better yourself, that's all I care about. It's super interesting because what you're talking about is that the culture, the ingredients is your culture, is your ways, is your beliefs, it's uh, your behaviors that informs the way you do business and the way you expect people to, to behave. How do you make sure that, you know, everybody knows that what the rules is and how do you make sure you're on the same page and how do you regulate it? How do you calibrate it? So the way we've done it is we've got a book of beliefs. So we have our, you know, beliefs and principles all written down in a book. You know, it's crystal clear. We've spent a lot of time and effort into it, as you know, the book of beliefs is it's it's the best thing we've ever done in business, I think, in 30 years of being in business, especially I think, you know, the other businesses were a lot more simpler in some ways, because it's like buy, buy at A, sell at B, 
you know it was shops it was retail it's and retail's actually a very very simple business you know you basically make sure you've got a great site you've got the right product at the right price and you're nice to your customers and it really looks after itself you know hospitality you're caring you're looking after people it's a lot more involved it's a lot more personal so to make sure everybody's on the same page you know we've got our book of beliefs each member of the team has got the book it's all crystal clear you know and we review them every every three months the entire time they're with us they need to stick to the book of beliefs that's the principles that's laid out in the business and that's what's expected of them you know in return they get a fantastic place to work but we review according to the book of beliefs and their pay is according to the book of beliefs it's our holy bible really to be honest and it's crystal clear you know everything's in there if they're not sure of what to do it's in the book you know that's what we say if you're not sure look at the book you've got a copy and we make sure they read the copy as well you know like, listen sit down and read the bloody book you know that's it's all crystal clear and then the most interesting thing is that i know that you give that to them when they apply for the job so if you think somebody that's an interesting candidate you give them the book before they come to the interview it's funny so we are, they have the book it's amazing how many people don't read it before they come so you know straight away they're, they're not for you you know and the interview process is so for us it's about people we're not worried so much about the technical ability you know it's character that we're after you know it, it's the right personality and we use the book as a tool to recruit you know if if they can demonstrate these beliefs these principles that you know that's written down in our book they're the right people for us it's simple you know it, it's a great tool to recruit if they can't demonstrate the principles that are laid down and no matter how competent they are no matter how much experience they have working in fine dining or wherever you know we're just not interested it doesn't help our culture of the business if they you know you need one bad apple and then you're you know you're you've got problems really so it's not 100% all the time i mean we've made mistakes where we've recruited people that really you know to be honest there was one i mean i was like i'm in iron i thought right you know let's she looks good let me just i had a slight doubt you know that she didn't quite tick make the checklist but she looked good you know within the first day we knew it was going to you know and generally these people are not the right ones will leave like that anyway but the ones who do fit the bill they're with you and they stay with you you know and it, it's it's funny because it's trying to get the right person it's very difficult if you've got the book of beliefs it makes it a lot easier if you if you were a manager of a football club right and you wanted a position so say you wanted a central midfielder there's so many statistics on players so how many tackles they make per 90 minutes how much they how much grass they cover in 90 minutes you know how many shots they block how many forward run you know this whole thing so if you're a manager you've got these statistics and you can say right that looks like the right person if they're a bit of an ass doesn't really matter too hugely because they they're coming in for a few hours they do the job then they go for us it's the opposite you know we don't have statistics so how do you recruit and make sure it's the right person we want the right character i'm not don't care about their ability in some ways because we can teach that you know ability you can teach you know we're not saying we can turn them from you know nothing to michelin star chefs but if they're willing to learn and they're willing to put effort in they can be bloody good you know we're that confident in the way we teach and the way we do things that they will be okay you know they'll be good enough to work in our restaurant if they're not good in to work in our restaurant they won't make it anyway they generally will leave themselves because it's it's difficult you know hospitality is a difficult gig and the book is the single most important tool we have in our business i would say it's actually the single most important thing we've done in 30 years of business i wish i'd known about it earlier really and it is super interesting because uh, when we did the book of uh, culture, you already knew all this stuff. It was just the how you brought it together with the purpose 
and suddenly it was like it, it, as I, I my perception was that you didn't have to have all the other rules it became much more clear about this is how we do things it's funny isn't it because unless you write it down you know it but it's a bit woolly it's like a jigsaw puzzle but it's all mixed up and as soon as you start writing it down one flows from another to another and to another and it's, and it's a relatively straightforward process you know it's it's so most businesses when they're starting off will take the personality of the founders really and the trick is to as you grow you want to keep that beliefs within the within the business and it's easy to lose but if you've got the culture that's behind it and it's so entrenched that it can't be shifted you can grow relatively easily and it's not what you know the, the book wasn't up for us to grow but it was actually brilliant to have it all the principles laid down in an order and then you can expand on some you know you can say okay one or two maybe you know maybe we're not quite right so it's a great way to see where you are within the business and as a tool to help you as i said it's our north star you know that's the book and our sort of mission is our north star that's where we want to be that's where we want to head and the book helps because it's rough you know you get blown of course but the book will guide you to where you want to go and most businesses i think well you know what if you're going to business if i was to do another business i'm not, I, no intention now but if i was to do the first thing i would do is do my book of beliefs it's the single most important tool that we have in our business at the moment what is meant for you having this uh, you know having this you know book of culture uh, and understanding your north star in a pandemic because a lot of company was just around for doing transactions and, and it's you are around for, with a very deeper purpose has that actually had an impact on you and the team and believing in in the future and it's had a massive impact so yes you know everybody's worried you know people are worried about what's going on in the corner but we know you know if we can see out the next six months or so whatever so oh, when we see the light at the end of the tunnel we're not starting from scratch. You know, we have the culture in place, the team's well looked after, they're happy, we can get going again. I think, you know what, so your vision seems to be further away at the moment, but once things settle, and they will settle, that vision will come quickly towards you, you know, it'll rush towards you. And that's, I think, and the book of beliefs basically is brilliant in that it stops you doing stupid things. You know, so I think what, as it's quite, it's quite funny because you see businesses and that as, and it's horrible to say, but when they become more and more desperate, they start doing more and more crazy things. You know, I've seen it in restaurants where, you know, the offers start getting more and more wild, you know, crazy, you know, pizzas that started at 12 pounds, were then eight pounds, then five pounds, then three pounds, you know, it, it's, it's desperation and you're not going to make, you know, you can't survive when you start doing that, that's, you know, that's a sign things are not great. If it's in the book, you do it. If it's not, you don't. It's simple, you know, and you have to believe in your principles. You have to believe in your values. Otherwise, you start doing crazy things. And, you know, I'm hoping that we don't do crazy things, you know, but the, the thing is, like, if we're unsure, go back to it. It's something we can look at and if it's in there, you do it. If it's not, we don't. It, it may, you know, we may get so desperate that we be, oh, you know what, we, we'll have to. But if it cuts out, I don't know, eight mistakes out of 10, then that's a win situation for us because things are crazy at the moment. You know, they're crazy times where they're going through at the moment. And I think, you know, the next six months or so in hospitality is, you know, it's going to be crucial, really. So I'm, you know, I'm hoping we've got a really, really strong foundation, which the book has given us, you know, our principles and our values that we stick by and we don't compromise. I'm hoping, you know, that's what we do and we'll try 100% to make sure that's what it is. But, you know, hospitality is on its knees at the moment, really. I mean, you know, you've been in hospitality all your life. You Have you ever come across a time where it's been as bad as this? Never. I don't think I can remember any, anything I've done 
that has been as tough. And I think it comes really down to, as you say, that if you don't have these uh, rules of uh, engagement or principles or uh, beliefs, there's so many words for it. Uh, what are you sticking to then? To actually to 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 move forward, and I think, and and I, and we we have the same here. We also have our principles, and uh, one of them is that never 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 to get defeated by the short term uh, outcomes, because it's the long term that matters. It's what you've done in ten years time, not what you've done in a, in a year's time. It's what Warren Buffett said. You know, that somebody asked him what the secret was, and he said, "I get rich slowly. Most people want to get rich quickly." It's the long-term game now. You, there's certainly no short-term game. There's, there's, no, there's no short-term game whatsoever at the moment. It, it doesn't exist in hospitality. And I don't think you can ever go into hospitality and think on a short-term. You know, you've got to have a five-year view. You know, if you say, I'm going to open a restaurant, I'm going to build it and sell out within three years or two years, it's not going to work. You know, that's what's it. I think, what's it, 80% go in the first year? Yeah. Something like that. A pre-pandemic and, yeah, depending on location and stuff, it's high. It's high. And and often, it's as you said, it's that people discover how hard hospitality. I think there's four, I mean, there's probably more, there's more, but there are four big reasons why hospitality, you know, business in hospitality failed. So the first one, and I think it's the big one, is people underestimate how hard it is. You know, it seems like they've watched too much MasterChef. You know, they think it's all glamorous, whatever. The real, real, real life hospitality is actually hard. I mean, it's huge, hugely fun, hugely fun, but it's tough. It's a tough gig. And I think people under, under, underestimate how tough it actually is. So that's number one. Number two, I think they go in undercapitalized. You know, they don't realize how expensive it is to set up and keep going. You know, it, it's, it's, an industry that you can burn money really quickly if you get it wrong. And we did, you know, initially. And, every, and everybody does, no matter what they start. Yeah. We, we, you know, we hadn't done this before. So we, we found out the hard way. We went in and we done some real crazy stuff, really. I think if we were to do it again, we'd be better at it, obviously, because, you know, we're, we've been now doing it for a while. But at the beginning, we were like, and we look back on it, we're like, what the hell were we thinking? You know, whose idea was that? That was just stupid. You know, so that's the sort of second one. The third one, I think they picked the wrong, people picked the wrong location for for the cuisine, really. You know, the, it, some locations just don't work for a certain type of cuisine. And the fourth one is, I think, people chase the money. That's the most negative thing you can do. Chasing the money will count against you. If you chase doing things properly, doing the right thing, being excellent, that's the thing you want to do. And the money will come, you know, money side takes care of itself, really, sort of thing. So they're, they're the four reasons, I think, why hospitality failed. I think people, like, if generally, I think if people have been in hospitality in restaurants and they want to do another restaurant, they, they've got a much better idea. So the second restaurant they do, you know, second time round, even if they sold the first one, they've got a greater chance of actually making it work because they understand how difficult it is. I think when you go into it first time round and you've got no real experience, it's a shock. So I always say, you know, if whatever you think it's going to cost, double it. Whatever you think you're going to earn, half it. And then we're roughly around there. That's kind of, you know, where if you purely looking in terms of money, if you talk, look in terms of having fun, engagement, creativity, getting up in the morning and having a buzz. I don't think there's a better industry to be in. Honestly, I don't think there's a better industry. We've been working together, my brother and I, for 30 years. We've had more fun in the last four year, three years at the restaurant than we've had in 27 years of doing all the other stuff that we've done. And we've done lots of different stuff, you know. We've come home and we're shattered, like literally absolutely knackered but it's the passion and the you know drive that gets you up in the morning because it's fun you know it's great to go into the restaurant and having a great time it's it's it almost sounds quite needed but it's great when people really enjoy what you do it's almost like validation it's validation you know you we're doing something that's right and people will really appreciate it and when if if People say something that's, you take it. You know, if they say something that's not quite nice, you take it. It hurts you. 
because you put everything into it. You know, and that's I think that's a big reason difference between small independent restaurants and chains, really. You know, you as the owner are in the business there day in, day out, trying to do your best. And you take things personally. You shouldn't, but you do. Yeah. I know, because it is a very personal business, as you mentioned. In you, put your life and sell, you put your life into it. So what would you, uh, in the end of the podcast, I always ask this question, so you know it's coming. So what is, uh, what is your top three uh, advice to leaders out there? Or maybe people that are maybe considering this opportunity of getting into restaurants. As... So I would say you just got to do it. If, you, if, you, if, you, if it's your passion, you know, you really, really need to give it a go because you will kick yourself if you don't do it. I mean, what's the worst thing that can happen? You know, if you think about it, in the whole scheme of things, if you're safe, you're healthy, you've got loved ones, you give it a go at hospitality and it doesn't work, what's the worst that can happen? You lose a bit of money. Well, okay, we've, you know, we've all lost money in the past doing stupid things. I think that, you know, the three things that, that you need to do, you know, especially if you're in it at the moment is one, be patient, you know, second one, stay focused. And third one is probably back yourself more than anything else. So if you're patient and more so now than ever, you know, things will get better. You know, it's funny. My daughter showed me a statistic the other day, right? And I think I've got it here. Let me just find it. So she basically showed me this thing about pandemics and how things work. So it won't be a sec. And how old is your daughter? Just she is 14. Yeah. So here, here, this is what she, she showed me. She goes, in 19, I'm sorry, in 1720, you had the bubonic plague. Okay. And it killed 100,000 people. And the population was 820, sorry, 680 million world's population. In 1820, so exactly 100 years later, you had the cholera plague. 15 million people passed away and the world's population was a billion. 1920, so exactly another 100 years, you had the Spanish flu. So 30 million unfortunately passed away and the population was 1.8 billion. And 2020, we got COVID. Okay. So these are really, really grim statistics. I mean, you know, all these deaths, and whatever, it's horrible. You know, it's, it, we've all been affected by this, whatever. But the point where I'm trying to make is things get better. You know, these are road bumps that are happening now. And we will look back, people will look back in history and they'll say the 2020 COVID happened, but we are now, you know, it, we're free and the world's open again and we're, and everything's back to normal. So things will get back to normal. You know, but the point is, you need to be patient. I think this where being patient is more critical than ever now. You know, we're at such a stage in in history and in life that you know it's gonna be a real rocky road ahead. I mean, I think you know this next you know six months, whatever it is. I mean, I don't know. Who knows, really? But certainly, I think you know the first part of this year while they're rolling out the vaccine, whatever. So you need to be really patient. So do the basic, look after yourself, look after your loved ones, stay at home, you know, see it out, see it out as much as you can. You go back when you have to, really. That's what, you know, what we're thinking. So first of all, first of all, firstly, you know, don't rush these things. You know, it's, it's in the whole scheme of things, it's only a little bit of time out, really. Yes, it's tough, and I get it. You know, we're we're all bleeding money. You know, we've got mortgages to pay, kids to feed, all that kind of stuff. But more importantly than anything, is making sure everybody's okay. You know, what's what's the point of having a business that's running if one of your loved ones falls ill? What's the point? You know, in the whole scheme of things, if you if you look at how you know what I think important in life. Where does your business come? Really, to be honest, where does it come in the whole scheme of things? Really, you, you know, you're married, you've got kids. So your family first, your friends second, you know, then 
work somewhere around there. You know, it's like, it's, it's not really high up, but it's not at the bottom. So you want to look after the first three and then worry about anything else. So that's, you know, and unfortunately, I think, you know, this, this thing is going to have a real detrimental effects on a lot of businesses. You know, it's a bit of a meltdown, but, you know, you, the only, only thing you can think of is we're all in it together, you know. Some of us will survive, some of us will not survive as a business in the next year or so, really. But if you come out and everybody's healthy, don't matter, really. You know, it really, in the whole scheme of things, it doesn't matter. So I think the first one is be patient. The second one is you want to stay focused, you know. When you do go back, you know, you've got to have that vision, you know, your North Star, as I call it. You know, you've got to have that vision and you need everybody aligned and you need everybody pointing in the same way. I think that's vitally important. It's rocky road at the moment, you know, things you, you can get derailed quite easily, but you need to have that point that you, you know, you're heading towards really. So I think the second one is stay focused. And the third one is probably back yourself, you know. If you don't back yourself, nobody else is going to. If you can't, you know, if you've got doubts, well, we all got doubts, but you need to back yourself. You know, it. you've done your restaurant or pub or, you know, whatever your hospitality business you're in, you've done it once. It's not your fault COVID's come along and caused, you know, major bumps in the road. It's not your fault any of this has happened. But you've done it once, you can do it again. You know, it's... It's going to be slow, though. You know, people are worried. They've got no money. So when even things when do when things do ease and we do turn a corner, it's not going to be a massive rush back, because you know the economic consequences of this virus is dire. But you've done it once. Stay small. Don't spend money on stupid things. You know, just make sure you're doing the basics right, and you'll be okay. You know. Well, I hope that's that's kind of my general feeling. It's like you know, if you've done it once, and it was you've done it once, where you built up a business from nothing, you can do it again, and it's easier second time round because you've made mistakes the first time round. So mistakes is mistakes and failure are not really mistakes and failure. They're just like you learn from them. They're only a mistake if you haven't learned. You know, you if you do something and it's really dumb. And you know it's dumb. It's only stupid if you do it again. You know, if you do something slightly different, then you've learned from it. So, you know, I'm kind of a great believer in that, really. I think, you know, if you do stupid, crazy things, you just won't do them again. And I think second time round, you know, when once this is all settled down, whatever, we, you know, we should be okay, you know. And then long term, hospitality is a fantastic place. I mean, like Bill Ackman. Bill Ackman's, uh, I mean, I don't know if you've heard of him, but he's a, he's a big hedge fund manager in the US. You know, he's one of the guys that, when he speaks, lots of people listen. He's probably in the hot, you know, probably top three or whatever. He actually wrote in the, in the paper that one of the best businesses to be in is restaurants at the moment because there's a lot of pent-up demand. And, you know, these people are gagging to come and eat and go out and socialise. But at the moment, they can't. So when it's, you know, when, when restrictions come down, it's safe to do so. There's a lot of people who are going to come, you know. As long as they've, you know, they're securing the job and they've got some money or whatever, you know, they'll be there. So I think it's try not to panic and, you know, back yourself is probably the, the thing, you know, that you have to do. As I say, if you don't back yourself, nobody's going to. That's, that's a great advice because we often forget that that uh, if you don't believe in yourself, other people would not believe in you in principle. How can you expect your team to believe in it if you don't do it? And then you have no business, really. The, those three great advice, there's really something to think about, especially the patient bit, because we're not very patient as it is, uh, as nature and the world. Where, where can people find uh, out more about you and uh, when you're back again, have the lovely opportunity to go and book a, a meal with you? So, you know, we, we'll, we're still quite active on Instagram and Facebook. So we'll make announcements through there and our website, obviously. So www.manjus.co.uk. 
and everything will be posted soon as we're, you know, when the coast is clear, really. We will send all the power and energy and, and thank you so much for, you know, giving it the story, but also sending a lot of hope, you know, even though you have to be patient to have a bit of that hope. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it is it is what it is, you know, and it's affecting everybody in the world. My point is we will get back, you know, I'm, you know, 100% confident we will. I don't know when, it's just seeing it out. People will make up for lost time. And I think hospitality has, it's the only place to be, really, to make up for lost time. People don't want to sit indoors, you know, as soon as the coast is clear and it's, and it's safe to do so, people will want to go out, you know. That's what we've always done. It, it, it's, and, you know... If you offer something very different and something, you know, genuine, because people can see through things that are not genuine, you know, you need to have a have have an experience when you go out. It's funny because I mean, like we, one of the things we don't do, I mean, it's like technology is brilliant, whatever, but we don't actually have a booking system, and that's on purpose because our guest experience starts when they pick up the phone to book with us. Yeah. You know? They're not logging on a computer or choosing a time slot. We should because it frees us up because we're busy and, you know, it takes one person away to take a booking from serving the restaurant. But we genuinely believe it's a touch point. So people pick up the phone, ask for a table, you know, any questions they have, we can solve it there and then. And that's where our guest experience starts. Not when they first arrive at the restaurant. So, it, it, you know, it's, it's working in different ways as well. You want to do something that's slightly slightly different to what everybody else is doing. Great name is, so pick up the phone, give them a call and book your slot when the world opens up again. Thank you so much to, to come on the, the show, name is. Uh, take care, love and power and uh, energy to all of you. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for having me. Wow, what a conversation. Thanks so much, Namish and the team of Mandus for sharing your journey on how to build a brand from the inside out, a brand built on culture. If you want to check out how we have worked with Mandus, please click on Culture, Beliefs and Behaviors, and you can see the process we have been working with them on to create uh, and clarify their North Star and also develop their book of behaviors and beliefs. If you want to get more inspiration on how to build a purpose-driven culture, please also tune in to our episode 29, Enriched Lives with Mowgli's Nanisha Katoner, founder and MD of Mowgli Street Food. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please share, rate, or review, or subscribe to one of our channels. Tune in next time for another interview. In the meantime, find out more about us and subscribe to the community and download leadership tools at hospitalitymavericks.com. Don't worry, if you didn't get all of this, there will be links in the show notes. Thanks for listening and be maverick.